welcome to the Ra- the gardening show on Radio Carum. My name's Brendan. My name's Henry. Hi, everybody. We are the hosts of the gardening show on Radio Carum. We are excited to be joining you to talk about all things gardening and local food production. We are two two local dads who share a passion for the garden, sustainability, growing food, and just giving it a go. We also help run Downs Community Farm, which is a budding non-for-profit just adjacent to the Seaford wetlands. And our mission is to promote and share the benefits of home gardening in our local community. And we'll be uh, talking about gardening in general, we'll be playing some tunes, and we'll be engaging with our listeners via text-ins. Um, and in the coming weeks, have we got any Have we got any lined up? Yeah, nearly there, but some guests very soon as well. I've got a few. I've got nice. a few in mind. I, I'll be honest, I haven't asked anybody yet, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I will. I'll put that on my list for this next few weeks. Um, but yeah, we'll start, as always, with an acknowledgement of country. Uh, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're broadcasting today, the Bunurong and Boomerang people of the Kulin Nations. And we want to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And we want to recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. So, Brendan. Yeah, Henry. What have have you been up to the past couple of weeks in the garden? In the garden. Yeah, a couple of of things um, over the last few weeks. As we discussed last week around spring and spring planting, it was really a weekend of getting seeds ready. Mm. So I did a fair bit of seeding um, and basically put in some a lot of chilies, some of the chilies that you gave me. Thank hey. you very much. Nice. Um, as well as a number of other handful of, of different plants. There was some eggplants in there. There was some beetroot and Egyptian beetroot, which oh. was from actually from the Briars, from oh, their okay. seed, seed collection there, which was cool. And um, also some lettuce and some more silver beet and chard. It's good. It's wow. good. A little bit of a clean up in the garden as well. Yeah, it's getting it's getting to that point <laughs> for me <laughs> as well. Um, How it, about you? Yeah. Well, first, actually, I want to ask Egyptian beetroot. Egyptian beetroot. Yes. What does that look like? What is that? I have no idea. It's going to be a total experiment. Awesome. Um, but I'll definitely let you know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, what about me? Um, yeah. So I've. Probably about about two weeks ago, I started uh, all my seeds. Mm-hmm. So I've just I've tried to be really diligent with keeping them moist because I'm really bad at that yep. <laughs> normally, and I'm starting to see a lot of germination happening, which is good. Um, besides that, I've pl- I bought a few um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, determinate determinate mm-hmm. tomatoes mm. bushing tomatoes uh, for those of you playing at home. Um, and just put them in some big pots yep. just to get them kick-started. And I've tried um, – I don't know if you know this trick. You probably do where you take off the bottom few leaves mm-hmm. and then kind of plant them a lot deeper yeah. than you normally yep. would because they will sprout roots everywhere on their on their stem. So I've done that um, as well as a little chili as well, uh, Mad Hatter. Yes. Because uh, I just saw that in the shop and I'm like, oh. Yeah, go on. It's been a while since I've grown those. So I've put those in pots. I've started to plant some, I guess I'd call them medicinal herbs for chickens. Yep. So um, some uh, lavender, a couple of kinds of lavender, uh, and they've got some rosemary sort of propagating, which um, that's probably struck by now. So I'm going to plant that out too. And I've put in a couple of fruit trees. Beautiful. So in the outdoor chicken run, 
which they're not using yet because I'm still letting things size up there. I've put in a Granny Smith apple, um, which I'll be grafting probably a pink lady onto next year mm. um, for that cross-pollination. And a, oh, I can't remember the name, but it's a apricot plum cross. Okay. Plum, yep. plum berry licious or plum delicious or something like that. Um, but yeah, big juicy red fruit. And I thought, excellent. So I'll be doing a lot of grafting on that as well. Yep. Uh, but I put those in and that's, I think that's it. I'm really starting to think about um, structures. Yes. This past couple of weeks. Because I don't know about you, but for me, spring, summer is about climbing plants, mm-hmm. um, tomatoes, cucumbers, whatever it is. And I'm trying to figure out what do I use? Do I go big cattle panel arches? Do I do some, you know, complicated bamboo type arrangement? I'm just trying to figure out what's going to work for my space. Yeah. And with the fruit trees, are you going into an espaliered approach for those or are you planning on just letting them go out nice and large and and circular? Definitely espalier. Yeah. Because they are down the side of the house, Mm. uh, there's not a lot of space. You've got obviously a, a walkway and then you've got, an equal sort of sized bed, which is a long chicken run. Mm-hmm. And I want them to eventually give shade to the chickens, but I don't want to take up all that space. So yeah, I've planned them right against the fence, mm-hmm. or relatively close to the fence. I haven't yet put any wire across to start training them. That's a job for this weekend. While they're obviously still very flexible, <laughs> you know, and can be trained. Um, but yeah. That's super exciting. So yeah, it's uh, things that I just love the way the garden's looking at the moment. It's super lush. Yeah, yeah, we've yeah. Had, we've had some heat. We've had some rain. It's looking at its best, I think. When we went down and inspected some of those fruit trees that we planted not too long ago, it was at probably Downs, at the yeah. Downs, uh, two weeks ago or thereabouts, <clears throat> and to watch to see how they had already started to bud um, yeah. and leaf, and it was it was really cool. It was really exciting. It's like, yes, they haven't died. Exactly. <laughs> it's been a success. There's always that that thing in the back of your head when you plant a new fruit tree. It's like, have I wasted $60? Mm. Um, yeah. I do like the Mad Hatters as well. Mm. I like the shape of the Mad Hatter and it's kind of that bell lantern-y sort of a shape. Yeah. Um, and they're not super hot. They're That's quite it. sweet. Um, and I think it's also known as a, um, a – I think it was – I heard Chinese pepper or Asian pepper as well and just mm. a very standard uh, eating pepper for the Mad Hatter. Yeah. But, again, I could be wrong. Very exciting nonetheless. Let's see how they go. I like it. Sounds yeah. great. We'll have to start doing some like, live tastings. Yeah, summer, bring some chilies in. Stuff in. Yep, yep. Let's do, let's do extreme hot chili tasting ah. live on air. I think that would be quite funny. Get the Scoville count up. <laughs> <laughs> um and then, and then our listeners can judge on whether that's a pepper they want to grow <laughs> based on our reaction. Uh, um, but yeah, what did we what did we discuss on the last show? Yeah, so we went through a couple of things. We went mm. through um, Q and A's. So this was posts about particular things that seem to pop up again and again yeah. on, on different forums. Um, we did a spotlight on edible weeds, and mm. that was most excellent. And if we remember that, it was very much around reclassifying our way of thinking. That's it. Um, around weeds and what per, what constitutes a weed. We looked at the permaculture principle, designing from patterns to details. And we also just talked about spring in general, uh, yeah. which was most excellent. And what about this week? So we've got a 
pretty chunky episode this week. There's a bit on. There is a bit on. So we're going to get really deep with it and we're going to talk about botanical names. Mm. So um, when you obviously buy a plant, you've got the so-and-so cucumber and then you've got that big, long, complicated word underneath <laughs> to pronounce. Yep. Um, that's the botanical name. And yeah, we're going to talk about how does that actually work. Uh, it's a pretty simple system once you know about it. Mm. And why should I use them? Why should I care? Yep. Go a bit into that. We're going to do a spotlight on sweet potato. Everyone's favorite not potato <laughs> crop. That would be really uh, exciting. We're going to go through the eighth principle of permaculture, which is integrate rather than segregate. And then we're going to talk something that I have very little knowledge on. So I'm really hoping to learn some from you here on different growing methods that I guess don't involve putting things in soil. Yes. Specifically. (laughs) So hydroponics, aeroponics and aquaponics. Just, and that's only three. Yeah, and there's more. There's more. But we'll go into those three mainly. Yep. And then we can expand on that. As a reminder, though, don't forget to send through any gardening questions that you have for us today on 0493 213 831. That's 0493 213 831. Send them through during the show or at any time and we'll get to them. Or you can email us at thegardeningshowradio at gmail.com. And during the song, I will check because I forgot to check the email. <laughs> Maybe there's something in there. Let's have a look. <laughs> um, and yeah, just a quick shout out to everyone who came along to the Big Dig Working Bee um, and members lunch as well this last Saturday. Um, it was a great turnout, mm. awesome food, got a lot done in the garden as well. Um, and yeah, thanks to everyone. Sounds good. Um, we're going to jump into a song first off, and the first song is Boy and Bear, Southern Sun. Bring it on. Oi, 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 oi. IGA oi. is shopping nights. IGA, where the price oi. is right. Oi. Seaford North oi. IGA, oi. for your groceries oi. and liquor. IGA oi. Express, oi. there's nothing oi. quicker. We are back. And once again, that was Boy and Bear with Southern Sun. Still have songs left to play with Sun in the title. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) We're still going strong and it's really good. Um, We were saying on Off Air that uh, Boy and Bear, I haven't haven't heard, um, completely forgotten. It was really lovely to hear Southern Sun again. It's a great song. One of those bands you're like, they still exist. Apparently they do. Yeah. They just released a new album recently. Yeah. Botanical names. Ooh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so just to caveat off the topic, uh, off the start, by saying that this is absolutely a topic of study in and of itself. Oh, yeah. Um, and just to preface it a little bit, so where there are th- about 382,000 accepted species of plants uh, in the world, of which the great majority, some 283,000, produce seeds. The country, this country, Australia, has a staggering 24,000 species of native plants and trees. So, how are we going to sort them all out? Uh, lots of little tags. <laughs> that's how I would do it. Uh, that's, that's a, even 24,000 in Australia is wild to think about. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I've it's definitely not seen them all. <laughs> Uh, so we've got a chap called Carl Linnaeus, Linnaeus, and he gave us our current system of binomial nomenclature or nomenclature. 
Carl Linnaeus, uh, also known um, after his ennoblement in 1761, so we're talking about a long, long mm. time ago, to Carl von Linn. He was a Swedish botanist, zoologist, taxonomist and physician. Show off. I know, right. <laughs> Isn't it funny how back in the day... Uh, the, these really smart people, they did four or five <laughs> things well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But like experts in 17 different fields of exactly. science. Mm. Um, and he formalised binomial uh, nomenclature, the, the modern system of naming organisms. And he's technically known as the father of modern taxonomy. Mm. So... Henry, it was last week when we kind of started to brief into this and you mentioned a few good points. I really think you nailed the explanation of the purpose for why we should learn botanical names and why we should use them. Mm. Did you want to enlighten us again? For sure. So first of all, because it is a standardised system um, around the world, mm. I'm pretty sure, everywhere, uh, it means that you can kind of bridge that gap between cultures or countries or, you know, languages as well. And everyone's kind of using the same words to describe the same plants as opposed to common names, which are absolutely going to differ mm. across um, different languages. It is useful as well for knowing which plants can you crossbreed or graft uh, because you'll have the same sort of genus or family name. Uh, it can also give you a bit of a hint of either where a plant originates or some characteristic about it. So you might see a species that's something japonica, mm -hmm. so something to do with Japan, or um, something prostrata, so being a prostrate plant, so something that creeps, um, you know, ground covers and things. It also can tell you things about when a plant has been reclassified because, uh, you know, rosemary, I'm going to use the example of rosemary. Um, a lot of people might know rosemary as rosmarinus officinalis hope i did that one right uh but actually in 2017 uh, i believe it was it was reclassified into the sage family salvia mm. so now it's actually salvia rosmarinus so that already gives you an idea of oh okay so it's actually related to your culinary sage and things like that uh, and, and finally, uh, you know, learning is fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's good to learn new things and to build knowledge. And I think, you know, if you really want to be a show-off in the garden, you know, when you're showing someone around, be like, oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's Salvia Rosmarinus over there. <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, but, yeah, I think it's always nice to just build that knowledge base. And, you know, if you're looking to move into a career in horticulture um, or garden design or something like that, uh, you need to start learning this because mm. that's a big part of learning horticulture is they don't really go by common names. They always go by the botanical name. Right, yeah. Mm. So to, for, for myself and as a hobby gardener, um, botanical names, it was never something that I even considered or mm. thought that I should put much thought into. And now that I'm looking into it and I really want to emphasise that point that you just mentioned of always learning, I think that's a great focus and a mm. great open ambition to have. Um, but now that I look at it a little bit more, it makes a lot more sense yeah. as well as and, and now that I'm also wanting to build up my knowledge a little bit more, it does really make a lot of sense to to start to learn these botanical names. Mm. And I, I think today is a really good example because there's a few different times where we look at pronunciation and there's some mistakes that I've done and I will continue to make mistakes. And I think it's actually a really good and welcome thing. I was called out after the last show 
<laughs> by my partner. She's like, you mispronounced this one. And I was like, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. it didn't feel right <laughs> when I said it. No, but um, it's good practice. Yeah. Uh, and then when we, when we have a laugh about it and then we repeat it to ourselves and we actually put it to memory a few more times mm. and then next time, oh, that's right. It's this one. It's that one. Yeah. Um, in spring, we were just talking about it. Pride of Madeira, a common name. And this one, Echium candicans. Right now is an awesome plant for the bees. Uh, we yeah. were talking about in the garden uh, bees. It's just started to flower. It's got those long, long um, blue pillars or purple pillars of mm, flowers. Yeah. And yeah, the bees are going to be loving it right now. Um, that's a great one. So sometimes we may feel that it's easier to use common names. Um, this is definitely talking to myself here. <laughs> we may feel uncertain and embarrassed to use the wrong names or mispronounce it. Uh, and I also remember I was at the shop and I mentioned that I was looking for a ficus and I was corrected and they said it's a ficus. <laughs> oh, no. I feel, uh, I'm feeling the embarrassment I for know. you on that one. <laughs> so our motto, our motto here is give it a go. That's it. Don't be shy. Nothing bad's going to happen. Nothing bad did happen. Um, I'm still learning. I think we were talking about uh, Olorakia. The other day, and uh, and and how we mentioned that one, it was it an oleracea or or Olor- not? Oleracea is what I thought. Oleracea, yeah. There you yeah. go. <laughs> um, when it comes with learning, comes mistakes. Uh, welcome them, learn from them. That's it. So, how does it work? How Let's does, get into it. Yeah. So, uh, in its most basic form, we're looking at two words: uh, a, gen- a genus and an epithet. Have I pronounced that? Yep. <laughs> I pronounced Epithet. that one correct? Yep. Epithet. Um, so the genus is is the family, right? Um, the species, I suppose, and it's capitalized and it's going to be like a Latin Greek kind of word. Uh, and then the second word, the epithet, is uh, a quality or an attribute, something that's like a characteristic of that plant. Mm. Uh, and it's worth mentioning, sometimes you will see a third name. It's not the most common thing, um, but... Basically, we're getting to a really specific variation within the species. Um, so it might interva- it might uh, indicate like a cultivar, some sort of cultivated variety, um, which you see, especially in, in food growing, um, is something that will be quite common. Um, and that will appear in sort of a single quotation mark. And the first letter will be capitalized on that one as well. But for the sake of making it easy, uh, we're really going to focus on the genus and the epithet, the, the two word um, yeah, botanical name. Cool. Have we got any tips? Yeah. Um, so copy the names correctly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, uh, because, you know, when the pronunciation can be quite difficult, yep. it's, it's good to like write them down, write them down properly. Uh, maybe make a story from the sound bites, kind of break it up into syllables, do something to kind of help you remember. Um, you can make flashcards, put them up around the place. Uh, and, when you are looking up for new plants, maybe to buy or you're sort of thinking about some landscaping, is just really focusing on that name. Um, I What I've started doing is when I'm labelling plants in the garden is I will write the botanical name there as well as the common name, if the tag is big enough, obviously. Yep. Um, Write them in if you have a garden diary or you have a planting schedule or a harvesting schedule. 
use those names as well. The, the rote aspect of writing it and reading it is what's going to help them kind of sink in for you. Hmm. And even just, you know, when you're buying plants, um, and I've started doing this, is I am forcing myself to read the botanical name first on the tag, right? Because I know what the plant is because I can see it. Hmm. So, you know, if I want to buy sage or something, I'll walk over and I'll read, oh, yeah, salvia officinalis or whatever. And, yep, culinary sage. Yep. And kind of do it that way. Anything else? Uh I was thinking when you were saying labelling, perhaps putting the the botanical name at the top in much bigger letters and then mm. just the common name underneath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think probably just using those examples that you mentioned, going into the shops, you're looking around at new plants, have a, just check it out or write it, jot it down in a, in a notepad and then take it home and have a research or just even throw it into Google on the phone and, mm. and, and go as you go. That's Learn it. Learn as you go. Um, here we go. A CA. <laughs> Latin for resembling. There you go. Uh, ACA. We've got these three three little bits in here. This is uh, a word, Latin for resembling. In this context, we're going to use it as to mean family. Mm. And we've got bra- a few examples here. Brassic ACA and Bromeliaceae, Solana ACA. What else? We have got some epithets. Do you want to give us them? Yeah. So uh, the, the second word, which of course gives you maybe a characteristic about the plant, maybe it's location or something about it. So some of the common ones you might see is, is edulous, which means edible. Start to see how these kind of line up. Uh, toxicarious means poisonous or toxic. Um, albus means white. So think Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> That's probably why he has that name. Uh, Orientalis, um, relating to the Orient, so to the sort of maybe Southeast Asia kind of area. Um, Scandens, meaning climbing. Pendulous, as in pendulum, means hanging. Prostratus, which I mentioned before, means creeping. And officinalis, which you'll see a lot, uh, is a specific one that um, Mr. Linnaeus, what was his name again? Yep, we'll go with that. Yeah, so um, sort of created to mean sort of something that has an established medicinal, culinary, herbalist type of use. Mm. So you'll have, you know, previously rosemary, rosemarinus officinalis. You have culinary sage, salvia officinalis. Uh, yeah, that's that's a couple. That's a couple. <laughs> you know, that's that, maybe that'll get you started. <laughs> I, don't, I, I also don't want to like fill people's brains with way too much information of course but um you can start to see and that that's a good way to kind of get your head around it is when you read a plant tag and you see the epithet after the genus does it look like maybe another word that you would use to describe that plant mm. start to make that connection in your head Actually, I was thinking of a tip just before. Um, instead of necessarily going back through all of the plants that you've previously bought and, and purchased, <laughs> perhaps just going with new plants that you're going to go in and That's then it. just learn from from now and give it a bit of a starter. So closing out this one, we know we, we have an understanding of the why. Uh, why should we use them? We have an understanding of the how, so how it all works. And really it's over to you and us to work out the great to work at the gray matter and keep learning and if you are an expert in this field already 
Awesome. Well done. Um, cheer us along and you're going to have more of your people soon. We're going to keep on learning. That's it. That's it. Soon we'll only be using those terms. Now that might not be super, <laughs> <laughs> super conducive to growing in the audience. Uh, but before we go into a, a bit of a spotlight on Sweet Potato, we'll go to another song. Um, you probably remember this one. Uh, a great cover. One of my favorite covers of all time. Heartbeats by Jose Gonzalez. Hi, this is Matt Joe Gao, and you're listening to Radio Karam, which is local community internet radio. And uh, we were having a chat about community radio earlier and how important it is to Melbourne, how important it is to the scene here, the music scene, but also the wider community. So check out Radio Karam, tune in. We're back. And once again, that was Heartbeats by Jose Gonzalez. Or Jose Gonzalez. Very nice. Great song as well. <laughs> it is. It really is. Um, spotlight. Spotlight on Sweet Potato. Hmm. Okay. S- tell us about how to pronounce this first name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you were going to do this. <laughs> you were going to do Yeah. Ipomoia. 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 Batatas. Batatas. Um, with a B. Batatas. Um, fun fact. Batata mm-hmm. uh, with a B. B-A-T-A-T-A is the Spanish word for sweet potato. Cool. Not to be confused with patata with a P, which is the Spanish word for potato. Right. But I think that kind of speaks to maybe some of the confusion that people have with this plant. Yeah. Um, Being a staple root vegetable, uh, tuber, that uh, maybe people think it is related to potato, but that is definitely not the case. Not the case at all. (laughs) yeah, look, it's been a staple, of course, for many uh, indigenous communities in particular for thousands of years. Um, some people refer to it as sweet potato, one word, to distinguish it from the potato. Um, but yeah, different plant family entirely. Um, normal potatoes are uh, solanaceous genus. Solanaceous. Nightshades. Nightshade family, same as... Same as your nightshade weed, which you definitely shouldn't eat, <laughs> mind you. Um, and also, you know, uh, tomatoes, peppers, eggplants. Right. Things like that. But batata, um, sweet potato, uh, definitely a different family. Uh, it's from the morning glory family. Um, the con... Convolve <laughs> assay. Let's go with that. <laughs> um, obviously distinguished by the their shape and the colour of their skin and their flesh um, and the fact that it, it's a vine, mm. not a shrub or whatever you would consider a potato plant to be. Um, yeah, and from northwestern South America mm. as well. Yeah, So people have been growing also known as kumara, uh, which is a... a often used Maori word uh, Mm. for sweet potato. And since it was first domesticated, so it was domesticated around 2,500 BC, around 2,500 BC. Mm. The Spanish introduced it to Europe and the Portuguese took it to India, Indonesia and Africa over a thousand years ago. And it was introduced into Samoa and spread across the Pacific. So this plant has traveled all over the place. Um, when we're talking about planting schedules uh, for sweet potatoes, and really what we're looking at here is the temperament areas or a cooler area, mm. and we're going to start to refer to a part of and this interesting plant is that we plant the slips after the last frosts and generally in a sheltered position. 
And, and it was really interesting as we were looking into this as to what slips are. Which, yeah, that's it. Which we'll, we'll go into in a little bit. And in a cool to, to cold area, so let's maybe say you're down in Tassie, um, we want to do four weeks after the last frost and then in a warm, sunny position. So this is why the random sweet potato that had thrown up a shoot that I threw into a pot in the middle of winter died. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get it now. Yeah. Yep. So middle of winter, probably not right time. Absolutely not and the right time. Needs I thought a lot of sun. Whatever. I'll put it in full sun, but obviously no. <laughs> but hey, we're, we're learning in the process. That's it. Um, and now in terms of varieties, there is actually, there's four main types grown in Australia and these are distinguished generally by the colour. Yep. So we've got a Beauregard, which is a smooth skinned orange flesh. So it's a golden colour with orange flesh. Sort of the typical one you see in every supermarket. Yes. Yeah, Mm. very much so. We've got a a Northern Star, which is a purple skin and that's got white flesh. I do love that one. Mm -hmm. Flavour wise, that's probably my favourite. Cool. And what else? We have a WSPF. Or white skin purple flesh. So just flipping that around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's got sort of soft purple rings of colour inside. Kind of similar to how watermelon radish, mm. which I know you've started growing, yep. has this sort of striations, I suppose, inside of the flesh. Um, really interesting when you give it a nice slice. Cool word. Yeah. Um, and hopefully I'm using that word correctly as well. Uh, and Kessel. Um or Kestel, Kessel, uh, which is white skin and white flesh. Mm. Which I don't think I've seen that one before. No, I don't. I don't. Can't recall having mm. eaten that. But I've definitely seen some of the the dark purple flesh sweet yeah. potatoes, and of course the orange um, uh, sweet potatoes, the Beauregards. Mm. What about position? So sun. I love the mm. sun. Um, they like to meander. They fill beds, um, much like a pumpkin would, very quickly. Um, and in warm areas, they can absolutely dominate. Mm. So it's one of those plants you might want to consider having in its own bed um, or a tub or a container. Just keep it in some way contained uh, and well-drained soil as well. And we'll go a bit more into the specific soil type that works for it. But... If you get these things right, it's incredibly prolific, prolific mm. I would say, and no wonder it's been a staple crop um, for that reason. Uh, but, yeah, in terms of the soil, what are we sort of looking at? So we want um, crumbly, loose soil. We want soil that's going to be well-draining. Yeah. So this uh, being a root vegetable, if we want to think about roots and we, uh, we just go into basics here if you've got a root vegetable you really don't want it to be sitting in water for a lot of the time mm, we don't want right. it to be have wet wet roots or anything um and if it is then what you might find is that it's going to rot in in the ground or it might be a bit more prone to insects coming along so mm. we want well drum uh, well drained soil crumbly sort of loose soil um permeable is another great word for that and growing best in sandy loam now, we talked about sandy loam a little while yeah, ago. We <laughs> and we do know that we've got heaps of sandy loam down this way as well in, in Mornington Peninsula and in Bayside, these surrounding suburbs. Yeah. Um, so it should grow well in these sandy soils and preferably above that um, soil temperature about 24 degrees. Um, they do need water, but don't soak it too much. So as we mentioned, it can rot. Yeah. And just think about, you know, just think of, think of it from a really basic level. If you're trying to grow, you know, big tubers, 
you don't want to have soil that is compacted mm. and it's going to make it hard for those tubers to kind of push their way out yep. as they grow. So kind of make it easy for them uh, and you'll be rewarded with a big harvest. I like how you're thinking about it. You're taking it back down to the plant view. I'm yeah. a plant. What do I need? What do I need to make this work? Uh, is there things that are going to be making it really hard for me to grow or yeah. is it going to be making it easy? I like it. I think we've all grown carrots that have kind of turned out weird shapes and mm-hmm. stumpy and like weird and crossed over. And a big part of that is the soil being too compacted mm. and not able to put down its taproot nice and straight. Yep. Yeah. Propagation. So as we said, slips or slips, essentially yeah. shoots um, that come off of uh, the sweet potato itself. Uh, yeah, I guess this is the question is, is, is it best to just have a slip and put that in or can you put in a chunk of the sweet potato? Like with a normal seed potato, like mm. the potatoes that aren't sweet potatoes, you can just put the actual whole potato in the ground and it will do its thing. But sweet mm. potatoes are a bit different. I think if, if you really wanted to, you could probably chip, take a little section off mm-hmm. and, and allow that to, uh, to bud from an eye or something yep. similarly to a potato. But in the sweet potato instance, what we can do is um, allow those slips to grow. So you might grab your sweet potato chunk, pop it onto into water or suspend it over water, pop yep. it on the windowsill and then just allow those green shoots to pop off instead of the roots down and then from those slips the roots will form again um, or more roots will form so you can actually take that little slip slip it into the ground and bury it you know a few centimeters down and hopefully that will will then root and start spread roots and establish its own plant from there there you go there you go um so it's good good with pests it can withstand a fair bit it's quite a hardy plant especially once it gets established um it's going to take about mm, 16 to 18 weeks to mature so that's you know that's an okay amount of time i wouldn't mm. say that's vastly different from a potato no so, so we're looking for about four months so yeah, four, four and a half months yeah potatoes are about you know 100 days or so four four-ish months or so um if you're going to store them and this goes with all root vegetables whether mm. it's you know uh, potatoes or radishes or beetroots or whatever um don't wash them if you're going to store them um because that's how they'll start to rot um so Harden them off mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, so maybe leave them in the sun to make sure the outside is kind of dry before you put them away. Mm. Um, and then they can store for months, like that, most root crops. That can also be quite useful if you've <clears throat> accidentally just skimmed one a little mm. bit when you've taken it out of the ground. Maybe you've hit it with the pitchfork or with the shovel yeah. trying to dig it out, allowing that to harden off and to essentially seal over where a cut wound might be on the plant. And um, you could still potentially store it for a little while yet. Yeah. little trick with that, of course, is when you are doing that, whether it's with onions or potatoes or whatever it is, um, airflow is important. Out of direct sun, somewhere that's not wet but dry, in the shade, um, and maybe, you know, I've seen people use old bits of um, like screen doors or whole screen doors Mm -hmm. suspended on legs. Uh, or some chicken wire in a wood, in a simple wooden frame, just something where they can sit and get airflow all around. Mm, yep, uh, really important. Nutritional value. Mm. These are mm. we do we do get good nutrition out of sweet potatoes. Um, so on the health side, we've got protein, fiber, vitamin C, calcium. We've got a low GI rating, 
And of course, the, both the young and even mature leaves have got uh, significant amounts of vitamin B6. So you can add them to stir fries, kind of similar to spinach. I didn't know that. There you so go. I've, I've, that's my one, my one big lesson for today. You can eat sweet potato leaves. Sustainable Gardening Australia came up and said that you can try frying with garlic uh, for an added boost and as they pick up other flavours. So garlic and sweet potato leaves. There you go. So give it a go. It's not that hard. It can be a really, I guess, a fun activity for kids to, you know, suspend them over water and kind of watch the the leaves kind of sprout out, Mm -hmm, one of those mm -hmm. sort of situations. And it's pretty hardy. So if you get it in the right spot with some good soil, you're going to be swimming in in sweet potatoes. Give us your tips. In batata. Batatas. <laughs> Give us your tips. Tell us if you've succeeded in, in growing sweet potatoes in Melbourne. Um, what mm. worked for you? What didn't? Uh, if there's anything else that you can share with us, that would be amazing. That's awesome. And I'm absolutely going to try and hunt down the Kessel variety, mm-hmm. the white skin with white flesh. I think, I don't know. I just, I've never tried it, so be sure. nice to give it a go. Let's go to a song before we get into a bit of permaculture tonight. So this one is uh, the ever amazing Xavier Rudd. Yes. Uh, of course, the person that does our theme song. Um, we deserve to dream. Hey, I'm Jane Oakley, a Matilda alumni footballer, number 36, and you're listening to Radio Karen. Stay tuned. And we're back. You're listening to The Gardening Show on Radio Caram with Brendan and Henry. Once again, that was Xavier Rudd with We Deserve to Dream. And tell us about these permaculture principles. We've got a new one today. Let's get into it. Bring so it on. This one is Integrate Rather Than Segregate. I think the name is pretty, <laughs> pretty self-explanatory on this one. Um, but yeah, look, you know, permaculture, it's some people make the mistake of thinking that it's maybe it's about having a food forest or a swale or a herb spiral or any of these like real sort of stereotypical permaculture elements um, or a chicken run or something like that, a worm farm. But that's really not what it's about. It's about how does the food forest relate and interact, relate to and interact with the swale, Mm. you know, or how does the herb spiral interact with the chicken Mm, what are mm. the connections that's really what permaculture is and this is where things can get a little bit maybe overwhelming when you're looking at a certainly anything larger than a balcony and you're trying to kind of map all of this out in your head um but hey it's about giving it a go and permaculture is not the answer to all the world's problems (laughs) no matter what any (laughs) particular permaculturalist might tell you um so for me it's about it's about systems thinking, right? It's really easy for us to see each element or thing in of our, in our system, in our garden as this standalone object that exists by itself. And there's all these other bunches of isolated objects and you know, maybe they have relationships with each other. Maybe we think about that in a linear way, but again, that's not really getting the whole picture. Uh, so one thing that really gripes me is when you hear someone, you know, say maybe on a on a YouTube video or something, uh, explaining their garden, saying, "Oh, that's the permaculture plot," mm-hmm. you know, or that's, or you know, this is the permaculture field in my farm, and it's like ah, that misses the whole point. You know, we, we need to ask, how do we integrate all of these things? You know, how can we work together or support that? Mm. That's really what it's about. 
So you're looking at an approach as opposed to a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a really nice way to put it. And I like what you were talking about with systems thinking. Mm. Um, how does it all connect up? And I actually was thinking, I, I put my brain to use around systems thinking and tried to really get behind it and think, well, okay, well, what are we talking about here is, yeah, how does it connect? What are the relationships like? How do they work? Both ways, um, is yeah. there, uh, and what other things could we incorporate into those relationships? How yeah. do we expand them? And how's it going to affect everything else that's currently already there? Mm. You know, that, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think you've really hit the nail on the head there. So, tell me, um, Brendan, can you do you have any sort of integrated elements in your garden? Uh, any sort of things that have maybe a relationship? Hmm. that exists and something that maybe you've thought about from that point of view when you put it in? Yeah, I I, I think it's a really interesting one because I definitely would – I have some aspirations of the sorts of networks and connections that I would like to have yep. and I don't think I'm quite there yet but I definitely thought about this question and I thought about uh, an example and I think one example is – um, right out the front of the house and it's actually quite close to where all of the garden beds are yep. or for the vegetables, I've we've dedicated one spot for flowers and it's a large beneficial insect attractor. Yep. Um, part of this, the, the motivation here was from my partner saying, I want to have flowers and I want to have stuff that looks nice and stuff that smells nice and all of those benefits to it. Um, and then, of course, as I've developed and further grown my appreciation and understanding, I'm like, this is a great tool because mm. it's going to be providing all of my veggies with with pollination, yeah, with bees, with um, good insects around the place. So that's probably the, the the flower patch is the one that I could immediately think of, and the way that it connects back through to the veggie patch. Yeah, integrating flowers into your system is something everyone should be doing, you know, I think, in, my, in a good garden. And my, my thought process beforehand was mm. I just want to grow as much production stuff as I can. And it was actually missing a bit of the point of the uh, the flowers and the pollinators and the attractors and the role that mm. that would – the gap that that would leave without it. Yeah. <laughs> if I just went uh, producing stuff and just – that's it, <laughs> what that's would then it. happen? I might get some pollination but – Maybe not as much. Yeah, and, and if you think about it this way, you know, if we use a very simple example, let's say you have 10 square metres of growing space. You might think that by dedicating two square metres to just flowers that you are removing two square metres worth of produce from your garden. Mm. But the reality is the, the integration of those flowers into your system is going to make those other eight square metres way more productive than if you just had 10 square meters mm. of food. So, you, you know, you, you give a little and you get way more. Mm, so, mm. awesome example. So, as we know, yeah, in permaculture, um, a permaculture garden, every element serves multiple functions, ideally. We've talked about this in the past. And every function is supported by multiple elements. So, just like forests in a, you know, a tree, trees in a forest. So, um, they will, you know, lean on each other for support during heavy winds. Um, you know, systems that are integrated are going to be stronger, more resilient, less likely to fail mm. and produce more abundance, which is really what permaculture is about at the end of the day. So think about it as 
you know, maybe think of a linear chain, right? So a simple way you might start thinking about connections in your garden is just, you know, a, a linear chain where each link is only connected to its immediate neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact though is, as we know from the name of the show, the weakest link, uh, you know, the weakest link can destroy everything and kind of ruin those connections. Um, whereas if you think about your garden more like a spider's web, mm. right, where if you break any one particular thread, it's not really going to do much to the rest of the spider web. Things will keep going. That's sort of what we're talking about. It's a really good example. Yeah. Um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, what are some, I guess, applications um, that we can we can put together to put this to you? So, of course, things that we've talked about in the past, so polyculture, so growing mixed groups of plants mm-hmm. instead of monocultures. And this is why industrial farming needs to use an abundance of chemicals, mm. you know, pest, um, pesticides and things like that is because there's no resilience in the system. And one locust can come in, bring all of its mates, and there's your wheat crop gone. Mm. So that's a big part of it. Uh, incorporating animals. So into integrating animals, um, whether it's chickens, ducks, pigs, goats, quail, what have you, you know, earthworms or compost worms, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully earthworms will already exist in the system. Um, can really help to draw a lot more of those connections and bring things together. Um, <clears throat> other things, uh, benefits, I guess, yeah, resistance to diseases, uh, resistance to pests, um, a diversity of pollinators, because obviously not all food crops are exclusively pollinated by bees. Mm. You know, there are lots of other different insects that pollinate and birds that pollinate. Um, and things like fungal and microbial diversity makes soil better and more productive, diverse water systems. So we've talked a bit about, you know, the importance of collecting rainwater if you can and not just relying on only rainwater or only tap water or, you know, whatever system you happen to have in place and more diverse food for you. So getting more health out of your garden is another big benefit instead of just growing 50 tomato plants that's great, but you know, <laughs> maybe grow a few other things as well. So that's a that's a really is about as deep as I I kind of want to get into it. Um, the activity that I have uh, for our listeners in relation to this, it's not really necessarily for the next few weeks, but really moving forwards. Next time you're thinking about adding something to your garden. Stop thinking about the things that you want. You <laughs> give me that look of like, oh no. Yep, I'm in trouble. <laughs> uh, but start thinking in terms uh, of what's going to complement what's already in my garden. Make that your next decision. Mm. So instead of thinking, I definitely want to grow this kind of, uh, you can still do that as well, don't worry. <laughs> um, you know, but I want to grow this type of uh, tomato next season. Think, okay, here's my system. What food crop or element can I bring in that's going to make everything better Mm. or reduce the need of bringing things in to support these other plants? Start thinking in that way as much as you can. We still want to grow what we want to grow, obviously. (laughs) Um, It's a a really great point. 
I think it's really important to be able to take a step back as well sometimes and have a look at it in these in these ideas or in these concepts. Um, and <laughs> I actually really like that you it it. It does. It's actually made me think, hey, I, I think about what I want um, and that that then shapes my focus. And is that going to necessarily be successful or as successful as perhaps complementing the garden in a different way? That's it. And, and if, I mean, if you think about things in that way, that makes it a lot easier for you when you do want to bring in a specific kind of food crop or plant that you want to, to know that you have a system that can take it mm-hmm. and benefit from it. As opposed to, oh, if I put blueberries in my garden, they're going to need different soil to everything else. Uh, you know, how am I going to try? You know, and it just makes the decisions a little bit more difficult than they have to be. Mm. But yeah, Brendan, um, what, what do you think would make your garden more resilient? So if we're thinking, you know, about additions to your garden, not just the varieties of plants that you want, mm. <laughs> what's something that, maybe you have thought about or are thinking about now after talking about this that you know is going to add to your garden? Uh, I think a really a really easy one, a really key one. I'm, I'm, I'd love to reduce my dependence on the grid for power. So yep. solar would be a big one. And I'd also love to be able to reduce my dependence on the, on the water. Uh, yeah. from the tap and essentially being able to harvest and collect more rainwater. So we're talking tanks. And I think the connection there from a tank point of view using this sort of a philosophy is going to be obviously that I don't have to obviously pay for as much water coming straight mm. through from the tap um, and that this is essentially feeding feeding my plants. So that's going to be a direct, a direct chain link. I like it. There you go. So in terms of this permaculture principle, you might – you might want to put the solar panels over the water tank mm-hmm. that will shade the water tank and reduce the, you know, the high water temperature that can breed things like algae. And then you've also got a surface which you can grow things up, your water tank, which will help to shade it again. And you've already created a little, a little system in and of itself where these elements are kind of helping each other. It's interesting. We keep on talking about systems and what actually popped into my mind was one of the next things that we'll talk about in, in the um, aquaponics and mm. another, another term. Have you ever heard of agrivoltaics? No, I can, I can imagine what that means <laughs> and it makes no sense in a gardening context to me. It's essentially, it's gardening underneath solar panels. And oh. so dual purpose use of the, the land. And I thought about this and I was like, actually, that, that's a really good integrate, not separate principle. Now you are thinking in permaculture. I love nice it. Nice one. <laughs> so there you go. There's that one. Uh, start thinking about your garden as a spider web and not a chain of events. That's brilliant. Thank we'll, you. We'll leave it at that. Um, yeah, so let's get into... Uh, well, well, what are we going to talk about next week in permaculture? So uh, the ninth permaculture principle, which is use slow and small solutions mm. as opposed to big, difficult ones. <laughs> um, so this one really speaks to me as a lazy gardener. But we'll go to another song before we get into uh, a little bit of this different growing method stuff. Um, so this one, another Aussie band. We're doing really well with Aussie bands today. Uh, this is the Cat Empire. Not heard these ones in a while. Que será ahora? What will be now in Spanish? 
Hey, I'm Jane Oakley, a Matilda alumni footballer, number 36, and you're listening to Radio Karen. Stay tuned. And we are back. We are back. I just played the same station ID twice. Outrageous. <sighs> Go Matildas though, so that's okay. We were talking about all sorts of different systems on whilst the song <laughs> Cat Empire was playing. It was quite funny. You mentioned agrovoltaics. Was yes. that what it was? Yep. Um, and then I thought to myself, oh, well, my initial thought was, like a farmer shoving a lightning rod into the ground, mm-hmm. and then you were like, "That's also another That's thing." A thing. <laughs> what was called electroculture? Electroculture. Uh, there you go. These things. There are plenty <laughs> of different ways that people garden, and I think it's look. Why not? Why not experiment? Why not go give it a go? That's um, it. Trial things out. If it works for you, it works for you. And one of the benefit, one of the things I love about gardening is when it's working and you don't really have to do anything. You can just watch and appreciate. Yeah. And once it's been set up and it's doing its thing, ah, you don't even have to put in the work um, and and hopefully the garden's enjoying it. Mm. So that was Cat Empire. That was Kei Sara Ahora. Nice. Was that okay? That was flawless. Very nice. Oh, cool. Thank you. <laughs> um, we're talking about different growing methods and we're talking about methods in these instances that are out of the ground. Yeah. And we've done heaps of talking about things in the ground. Um, we we want to discuss t- today some systems, not all systems, but today we're going to mention hydroponics, aeroponics, and aquaponics. Um, what I really enjoy is experimenting. You guys have probably already yeah. <laughs> realized by now, but seeing what I can create, uh, even just with the skill set that I've got, if uh, I find uh, being able to... Um, how can I build my skills and can I build yeah. them simply uh, in, in an environment where it's okay to fail? <laughs> if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. No no love lost. But yeah. um, how can I build my skills? And when I think about these ones and, and setting up these systems, some of the hydroponic um, systems and aeroponic systems, they can actually be quite easy, quite relatively simple systems. Mm. Um, it gives you a lot of opportunity to create and be creative so there's no rule book to say it has to be one tank and then a nutrient film technique, which we'll discuss in a little bit. You could put pipes all over the all over the place. Yeah. You could have it like the um, you could have PVC pipes going vertically. You can have it going horizontally. You can have them on angles. You can have water tanks. You can do all sorts of things in space. You could, yeah. I'm just thinking, growing for the future. Growing I know, for I know the will be a future topic on, mm. on this show. Uh, uh, how do you contain water as well? You, yeah. if, if it was in a zero grav environment, um, that would be very interesting. Mm. Uh, there are. It's a funny one because we were mixing it up from a conversation earlier around structure and clarity in naming plants. And we were a little bit like, hey, this is a great way to do it and it's very structured. In this, go for it. There's no rules. <laughs> no rules. Break them. Break them if you find them. They're more like guidelines. <laughs> <laughs> this is my kind of garden. <laughs> <laughs> so all of these systems are coming out of the ground. We're using different mediums. We're using different methods. We're using different engineering systems. And to talk about hydroponics really quickly. So firstly, I'd just like to ask, Henry, have you ever seen lettuce growing hydroponically? I have. Although now I'm sort of like 
was it aquaponics uh, or hydroponics? I'm not totally sure of the difference. I'm sure you'll, you'll go through it. Mm. What did um, you see? But what I did see was, uh, yeah, sort of long PVC pipes mm-hmm. arranged, you know, they were maybe, I can't remember where I saw this, but probably two metre lengths of, I think it was about 90 mil standard sort of stormwater pipe um, or PVC pipe rather. Uh, with, you know, little holes put in there, just enough to hold the crown of like a lettuce. Okay. And then in the pipe, I believe it was like um, like scoria or gravel or something. Mm. And then water, basically. So the roots are just – the scoria is there just to kind of help hold the roots in place. Yeah. And then the water is being cycled through the system and you have to like use – obviously you have to give – the plants nutrients mm-hmm. so that's that goes into the water as a liquid and yeah from what i remember uh i think i was reading about it or watching it it's it's very quick because mm. you can be super precise with delivering nutrient yep um and that's why it's often used on on a big scale because you can imagine how many pipes of these can you fit in a warehouse for mm. example that is officially the sum total of everything I know about hydroponics. Well, that's a great start. And there's a lot of principles that you've kind of hit on already, mm. um, which are in there. Uh, so sometimes we can see it like this with PVC pipes. Another example when we're talking about lettuce is if you can imagine a giant big flat sheet of polystyrene. And then if you just t- cut out those holes, again, just enough for the lettuce to grow in. And we sit like a net pot, for example, or mm. a plastic um, pot which allows water to get into from all sides, yeah. um, uh, like a mesh pot almost, then we can pop a bit of rock wool in there, you can pop the seeds in there, you can grow it and essentially it's getting that water uh, the whole time. There's other methods where you might have uh, a scoria bed and you can flood the whole bed, raise the water level completely yeah. and then drain that water out again. So you, the root system may not always be underwater that's my question because my immediate thought is wouldn't the roots rot Mm. if they're constantly submerged in water i believe so so we do have to be mindful of that and there's some good ways to inspect and see for health signs of roots in hydroponic and these sorts of closed systems Mm. um we, we mentioned it was floating on your nutrient filled water uh, or your water that's containing your nutrients back through. Um, we, with the hydroponic systems, uh, you can have, m- generally speaking, we're going to have multiple systems of pumps, tanks, filtration and monitors as well. We do have to monitor a little bit more closely. So we're looking at things like your nutrition levels and pH yeah. balance and that sort of thing. Um there's a lot of different systems that you can imagine. So some might be your PVC pipes, some might be shallow flat beds yeah. um, and some might be these systems that you float and flood and then drain away again. And as you mentioned, what we can actually do is control things really precisely. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> of course, we need to uh, still need to give plants other stuff that they need. So intake of, of light, still need air around them as well. Yeah. Um, we can't grow everything hydroponically. Uh, if we think about the root vegetables and ground veggies, some of them just aren't super suitable for hydroponic systems. Grow potatoes hydroponically might be a little bit difficult. <laughs> uh, but again, who's, 
experiment. See what you can do. This is very much the type of gardening if you're the kind of the mad scientist type mm. or the sort of backyard inventor. In your shed inventor yeah. or engineer. Yep. This is your this is gonna be your jam. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Um so that's a, a very simple hydroponics look. Um, essentially, we're using water um, to deliver the nutrients and the, the uh, plants themselves or the root structures are going to sit into the water and then potentially sit back out of the water for a, a certain amount of time. Okay. Um, <clears throat> aeroponics is slightly different. Aeroponics, we're talking about spraying or misting the water containing the nutrients. So if we think about... Um, if we think, actually, I've got it one, but delivering it by air, essentially. So, I'm because th- I'm thinking, I'm thinking Tillandsia, or there's there's a a, a good <laughs> botanical name, Tillandsia air plants. Mm-hmm. Um, how you know you don't really water them; you just kind of mist them with um, water, and then every now and again you you might dilute some specific fertilizer in water and then mist them with that mm. is that similar so you're thinking more like the orchid sort of style the ones that are going to grow on in the canopies not necessarily in the ground but on trees yeah sort of with you know no medium so to speak just mm. kind of stuck to the side of a tree or something i think so yes but also taking it a bit further in yeah that, okay um re- when when the misting systems are going we can have it as a, a bit of a spray or a fine mist and really we do want the the roots to get pretty wet there and to be dripping yeah um but we get to time it so this might be a system where it sits on for three minutes and then off for 10 minutes. If you've got an automatic uh, timer and setup, right. we can actually deliver it. So uh, the water, the roots aerate. Um, and mm. what happens, what I've noticed with the root structures of hydroponic and aeroponic systems is that they, they're very ferny. Um, they tend to spray oh. off a lot uh, more smaller uh, smaller roots. Yeah, the root structures themselves are, generally speaking, they're going to be that same whitey, cleary color. Yeah, and they smell good. They smell like it's been in the ground. It's oh, a very strange bit. <laughs> strange wow. thought. That's surprising. Um, when in the hydroponic system that you mentioned just before, it was a 90 mil PVC pipe. I actually created this one at home. Yeah, and I let a it didn't trim the roots on the tomato plant and I had a tomato plant growing in there and when I needed to pull out that tomato plant eventually, <laughs> out came about a metre and a half of root structure. <laughs> it loved it. Yeah. Um, when we're looking at the roots again with root health, mm. uh, the white clear smells good, happy days. Yeah. Um, brown, black, sludgy. Stuff is starting to rot, not going too good. Maybe there's bacteria in there or something along those lines. And you, we, we want to either cut it all back and chop out that section of root or remove the plant entirely and make sure it's not infiltrating or affecting other plants in the system. Yeah. So quick question. Mm. So I, I, I understand obviously hydroponic tomatoes is, is one of the ways in which we here in Australia get tomatoes in the middle of winter mm-hmm. and, and throughout much of the world. Um where you know convenience is key. <laughs> um, I guess my question is: is what about flavour? Because I feel that you know different soil imparts different flavour profile. And as we always say, home food is always tastes better mm-hmm. than the stuff you get from the shop. 
with aeroponics, hydroponics, and things like that, are there ways to improve the flavor? Mm, that's a really excellent question. Or is so, it all going to taste a bit, not bland, but, you know, is it all going to taste a bit same-same? A bit same-same because it's not necessarily in the ground? Yeah, I don't know. Because it's absorbing the different nutrients? Question. That's my question. I don't know. You might not have the answer to that, but yeah. someone let us know if, if you... You know, if you're if you've done this work, mm-hmm. it'd be good to know. Yeah, I can't say that I've, I've got the the perfect answer off the mm. top of my head, but definitely worth looking into and in investigating some more. Um, when we're looking at an aeroponic system, aeroponics is using far less water. So if we're timing yeah. it and if we're delivering it via a mist, and then that water is collecting into the bottom of a of a container into a reservoir, and it's being recirculated, yeah. um, then we're we're talking seriously less water um, in mm. some instances you know, there's quotes of 90% 95% less water usage than standard uh, farming methods or practices yeah, wow. what we can think about here is that you know this is ideal for things like stacked towers um, something where we're looking at very small spaces and one this was a, a DIY YouTube uh, find but a simple backyard creation was um, a person getting a, bla- a plastic food drum Yep. And essentially getting a hole saw and drilling holes into it, all over it. Um, and pop- popping 90 mil or angled PVC pipe elbows into those holes. Okay. And essentially it uh, had holes all over it, had these pipes coming out the side of it. They're slightly twisted upwards and then they pop the net plastic net pot into each of those. Okay. Yep. And that's going to be your little plant house. And then you can put rock wool as a growing medium if you wanted to, which is an organic um, essential insulation, yep, yep. building insulation. Um, and grow it into there. You can grow it, as you said, in the with the terracotta marbles, with yep. the little pearls. And that's going to allow the water, as you said, to permeate over and around those rocks and then feed up onto the plant roots themselves. Yeah. Um, from the outside, uh, they put the plastic net pots in, the PVC, and they pop the seeds in. Essentially, you've got then from the very, very top, you've got a hose which dangles down and you've got essentially a hanging irrigation with nozzles spraying at ah, each. okay. So the whole inside of that chamber is, is a closed chamber and will spray out the mist or we'll have the mist sprayed out from there. Yeah, it goes up those pipes. Okay. And that's going to keep the roots wet. Allow them to dry for a little bit and then wet the roots again and it goes through this system of essentially aeration and drying and and, and wetting and aeration and wetting. Um, I think is what we talked about the roots. I think Mm. it's really cool that you get to see and monitor roots in these sorts of systems. Um, I think it's most really excellent for small spaces. But you can also think about if you were to look at a larger space and you had multiple stacked towers how much volume you could get yeah it kind of makes you think of growing mushrooms at home Mm. in in those stacked um food uh buckets Mm. those 20 liter painter's buckets kind of thing you could potentially fill a huge amount of space and you know if you don't really have growing space because you live in an apartment without a balcony this could be a really great way with some grow lights to to feed yourself Mm. You could put um, herbs in there. You could put lettuce in there. As you mentioned, lettuce is really quick. Uh, It's a quick turnover. It's a high producer. Lettuce would be ideal for an aeroponic stack tower, for example. Yeah. 
Um, it's awesome in greenhouses as well. Uh, and you can also just move them around. If you were to have one grow tower and it's got a reservoir at the bottom and it's mm. powered and what have you, you've got a little pump in there to push the water up to the top and then spray out, let gravity do its thing with the water as well. Um, you might twist it around or turn it around or put it on, imagine having it on something like a, um, a rotating platform. Yeah. Almost like a lazy Susan on the desk yeah, <laughs> when, when we go to Yamcha. But you can just turn it around a little bit to face the sun or to give particular plants a bit more exposure or a bit less around that little microclimate. And I think with some imagination, you could come up with some very interesting ideas um, in this sort of a space. Definitely. Get get down get down to your local tip shop. Mm. Uh, get a bunch of PVC pipe and see what you can come up with. I did one actually. It was a, a cloning chamber, a cloning box. And so <laughs> that sounds ominous. It does. <laughs> cloning chamber. And Jeff Goldblum <laughs> in the fly or something. <laughs> um, so this cloning one was basically just a tub, uh, similar to how you repurposed the greenhouse last episode yeah. uh, for seedlings and seed propagation. This was just a big tub and in the top of it I drilled those maybe eight holes to yeah. put the net pots in. And when I was taking cuttings of easily clonable plants, um, so I, I was trying a whole bunch of different things. I tried blueberries. That was very difficult. didn't yeah. work at all. Um, we tried tomatoes. Uh, tomatoes are really great. The, yeah. the, they're going to sprout and you're going to get lots of root structure out of those. Um, <clears throat> and essentially what I did was I took the cuttings of a mature plant, tomato plant, took the clones which were effectively that same mature plant yep. and then were allowing that to, that new plant to, to grow to maturity or it, it's in a mature state and then simply develop from there and yeah. increase in size. So it's like taking one plant, getting 10 out, if that makes sense. That's Starting off awesome. those ones and then mm. you can move them into the ground if you wanted to. They don't necessarily have to stay in there. Just monitor them when you're transplanting from a hydroponic system into the ground. That would be my next question is can you transplant? Mm, you can and it's going to undergo some pretty serious shock. Yeah, changing, I, can, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> mixing it all up for the plant. Mm. But like I said, experiment. See what works. Mm. What about this one? I'm pretty interested in because I do believe it's the one that involves fish. Fish, yes. Yeah, so aquaponics. <clears throat> Tell us about that one quickly. Aquaponics. So if we shorten our two words here, aquaculture, hydroponics, aquaponics. Oh, it's funny how that works. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Yeah, we're talking this, – this actually relates a little bit more around to our permaculture principles. That, I had that thought as well. Yeah. Uh, in that this system is a beneficial symbiotic system. Mm. Um, the method is incorporating a few systems to benefit each other. And in this instance, we're talking about fish and plants. Um, it's generally going to be – for an aquaponic system, it doesn't have to be huge, but it's going to – generally be a bit more of an undertaking to set up to Seems establish that way. yeah uh, and to get going so your water tanks are used to store fish and your growing beds will essentially allow drainage back into the tanks of water um, nutrients from the fish waste can be used to feed the plants mm. the plants then filter the water um, back into um, the tanks and then providing essentially filtered and fresh water back through for the fish so it works as a closed loop system um, 
And essentially what we're doing is you can have open door, closed loop systems, but um, replicating a, a little ecosystem, something that works off of each other. That was my thought is I was thinking, you know, like a small pond or a natural pool or something in the garden where maybe you're growing something edible like watercress mm. or something like that. And then having fish in that system as well mm-hmm. and it kind of supporting each other. Mm, yeah. That's really... That's cool. I can imagine, yeah, this is definitely more of an undertaking because now you're also caring for an animal. That's right. That has very specific needs. Yes, mm. yeah. So there is going to be more upkeep. There is more maintenance in this sort of a system. We're monitoring water, fish health, plant health, all of those sorts of things. But if you can imagine, this is like, this is a gold mine. It's you're producing free food yeah. at the same time as you're feeding the fish as the same time as you're producing more yeah. food. Um, can you eat the fish? Yes. Hey. It okay. depends on what sort of fish. It depends on of how course. hungry you are. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there are uh, some particular fish that will work a little bit better in aquaponic systems. Yeah. Um, of course, you can do use koi and um, uh, and goldfish that yeah. sort of style. Absolutely. Uh, you can use a very common aquaponics fish is a tilapia. Okay. Yep. Um, but you can also use trout. Um, you can use Murray cod. <laughs> okay. um, Murray cod are going to be generally a bit more aggressive and might bully out other fish. Right. Um, but, yeah, there is there are options there. And, yes, absolutely. If your system's big enough, you can absolutely grow fish and, and cook them, harvest them. Wow. My brain is swimming, I'm telling <laughs> you. This is, this is a, yeah, like I said, this is a whole pillar of gardening that I've just not even touched I think out of fear of too many things Mm. too much um, technology involved but even just a simple uh, a simple like hydroponic or aeroponic system doesn't seem like it's that difficult to set up no no I think in all in all Mm. I had built the cloner maybe for 60 60 bucks in, in parts not bad at all uh, a very very amateur job and it worked and it was cool and it's like oh great I can use this if I really wanted to multiply out uh, a particular cool variety of tomato or something else that I know is going to work well yeah it's good it's a good project it's awesome um, there is even more we mentioned before electroculture <laughs> we talked about <laughs> agrivoltaics we talked about all sorts of different stuff and you kind of hit on this but back out of the lab we're talking about these closed systems um, and I mentioned something before. Sorry, I'm just going to digress back yeah. into the into the lab for a moment. We mentioned one which was the, uh, I just wanted to say NFT, yeah. not, non-fungible token. <laughs> this is nutrient film <laughs> technique. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, no, we're not doing, we're not doing a blockchain <laughs> <No>. <laughs> podcast. Um, nutrient film technique and essentially that's you, you're putting all of, um, it's f- feeding y- y- all of your food is in the water and that's how it's going into the plants or that's how it's being delivered to the plants. So going back to what you were mentioning and back out of the lab, if you are lucky enough and you have the land, you can create these systems and essentially, you know, this... it, it works better from the natural side, yeah. but obviously we've got these constructed systems. But imagine having your own filtration through rocks. You've got your creek, you've got reeds, grasses, soils, organisms, all essentially filtering out that water um, for for the fish and designing the irrigation to, to flow through onto growing areas. Um, how cool would it be? How, how, how interesting. Integrate. 
mm. rather than segregate. I love it. There you go. It all, it all <laughs> came back. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Thank you for that deep, deep dive. Uh, no pun intended, obviously. I hope it wasn't. I hope uh, it made little, a bit little of sense. Bit, little bit intended. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, wow. I mean, if this is something that you're interested in, um, definitely give it a go. It seems like it doesn't cost a lot. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. You know, you lose a few lettuce and you sort of tweak and try it out. Um, yeah, awesome. Check it out online. Have a look at Grow Towers and just have a look at what it looks like because mm. it does look like the future in, in some instances you can think oh, I can imagine this uh, in warehouses why can't we have a vertical farm uh, yeah. what would a vertical farm look like um, in you know we we're talking about the rooftop farms earlier and mm. uh, all of that sort of stuff this is very the future cool. I mean it's very interesting know, we are often running out of space and this is a way to mitigate that you know, I'll get excited now, but then I think about, well, how do we pollinate inside of a greenhouse? Do we do bring bees in and insects in? Do we hand pollinate? What's, how does that work if we're not having as many insects around, and mm. um, which seems to be very much a thing yeah, at the moment? But absolutely. it's definitely something that I'm very passionate about and like to explore into. Awesome. Well, there we go. That's the show for today uh i hope we haven't filled your head with too much information <laughs> uh, but of course you can always go back and re-listen either on the radio Caram website radiocarum.org uh, or wherever you get your podcasts uh, we'll be there as well such as spotify um but what's coming up in the next show Brendan? Sure. So we're going to do a greenhouses, hothouses, cold frames and other ways to control climate. Yeah. How to create interesting microclimates, particularly in somewhere like Melbourne mm. where, you know, it can be hard to grow things like coffee, for example. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, and as we know, starting seedlings earlier and things like that. We'll do a big spotlight on tomatoes tomatoes everyone's I mean, favorite i know it's like it's it's weird that it's taken us this long to get to it but mm. i feel that it's the one thing that gets a lot of people buying that first seedling mm. from the nursery yep is wanting their own tomatoes want to know how it tastes is it better from from the garden than from the supermarket yes 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 it is 100 <laughs> percent um but also some of the things especially around tomatoes you know people have a lot of challenges with them as well there's mm. lots of questions that come up um the different types you mentioned determinate and indeterminate we'll build we'll break that all down next next episode absolutely we'll Love. go into the ninth permaculture principle. We're getting we're getting near the end here, uh, mm. which is use slow and small solutions. So this is one if you are don't like to be rushed. This is a, a good one for you. And finally, we will talk about some common plant diseases and deficiencies. So how to diagnose, how to treat, um, and what to look out for in the garden mm. i think that's a really that's that could be a whole show in it in itself mm. but i think we'll try and do we'll, we'll try off with some simple stuff like nitrogen deficiencies and stuff that's really common yep um yeah events so i just have one quick event i'd like to tell everyone about so uh where, the place where i work uh cultivating community um up in the city um 
manages a rooftop farm in Burwood at the Burwood Brickworks Shopping Centre. And they have some school holiday workshops running. So anyone that's got kids and looking for something to do, um, these are free. So that's my favourite cost for anything yes. is, is, of course, free. Um, limited to 20 participants per session, but no bookings are required. So it's a bit of a first come, first served. Although it is just worth visiting this rooftop farm. It's pretty amazing. Um, and you can see what's sort of possible, particularly in a shopping centre environment. Yeah, when absolutely. You use that space. <clears throat> so there'll be two sessions a day on both Thursday, the 21st of September. So two days from now. <laughs> and next week on the 28th as well at 10.30 a.m. Sensory weaving. Mm-hmm. Don't totally know what that's about, but that sounds awesome. And 1.30 p.m., Whimsical Worm Farm. Mm. So there you go. Um, but yeah, do check it out if you miss out on the sessions. Um, and if you do see the resident rooftop farmer, Kez, say good day from Henry uh, or Simone if you see her there as well. I've been to the Brickworks once and it was, it was probably a couple of months just after it had opened. <clears throat> and I thought it was the coolest thing. Yeah. It was the worm farms are awesome. Um, Big bathtubs, the, yeah. The conservatory setup yep. is really cool as well. Uh, and the fact that we're just sitting on the top of a roof inside this awesome uh, restaurant and, and cafe component and we're on the top of a shopping centre. It's pretty wild. I think it's the most environmentally sustainable shopping centre in Australia or in the Southern Hemisphere or something like that. Mm. They actually have a really substantial composting system underneath in the guts of the shopping centre where mm. all the food waste from the food court um, kind of goes in there and gets turned into compost to sell. So it's all this brilliant, really amazing system. But yeah, check it out. Um, and that's, yeah, that's it. So thanks as always to everyone for listening and participating. And please, please send us in some messages uh, over the next coming weeks. Get your gardening questions prepped. Send us an email. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to answer your questions as well. And if there's some improvements, let us know. And I will uh, promise to check the <laughs> check our new email before coming in. <laughs> what was that email address again? Uh, it was the gardening show radio mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Apologies if anyone has sent me an email there. I will check it as soon as I get home and we'll answer it on the next show. In the meantime, get out into the gardens, enjoy your time, get growing, have a great time. Thank See you ya. so much. Bye.